0: Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. My guest today is Daniel Scott Tisdall. Uh, and Daniel and I were discussing writing exercises in the wake of his re- the release of his uh, book on creative writing, you know, how to write poetry, um, called The Writing Moment. And The Writing Moment is probably, without reservation, I would say it is the absolute best textbook I have ever seen on not only poetry, but creative writing in general. You know, I've never seen uh, such a thorough book that is also very experimental, uh, and yet, you know, covers a lot of the, you know, more conservative or traditional basics of writing poetry. It's really fun and engaging. Uh, Great, you know, book out of Oxford University Press. Uh, Excellent. Uh, Cannot recommend the book enough. There's a lot of information on my website about uh, Tisdall's uh, work and about this particular book. So, uh, i really recommend that you check it out go to jonathanball.com slash five that's jonathanball.com slash five and you can get uh, the show notes which include links to you know other information on my website there's a review of the writing moment a bit of a mini review there and just some links to the book and so on and daniel's other work is really excellent as well he talks about the book vocational poems in this interview uh, and he's talking about it like is his next book coming out but this interview is a little old, and so uh, if you actually go out and get that book, you know it is published now. He's talking about it like it's not yet published, but it is published um, at this point in you know, human history. Uh, so I can't recommend recommend fo- occasional poems enough. It's one of the best books I've seen in the last ten years. Uh, you know, there's a small group of poem tree books that I think are just absolutely uh, outstanding, essential reading uh, in the last you know number of years. And I would say Vocational Poems is on that list for sure. Um, so check out Vocational Poems. Check out The Writing Moment. Dan Scott Tisdall's got all sorts of other books that are really great too. Um, one of my favorites, which is pretty influential on me, uh, is a book called Predicting the Next Big Advertising Breakthrough Using a Potentially Dangerous Method. <laughs> one of my favorite titles for a book. Predicting the Next Big Advertising Breakthrough Using a Potentially Dangerous Method. Um but Vocational Poems is a better book. So if you have to pick, you know, pick Vocational Poems. But I would recommend both those books. He's got other great books. You know, really interesting writer. Um, I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, and, you know, without further ado, here's Daniel Scott Tisdall. Daniel T- Scott Tisdall, thanks so much uh, for doing this interview with me. And, sure. uh, I you, see, it. like, this, you know, wonderful um, array of books behind you. And and so one thing I I, I actually took all the books out of my office because I found their presence either distracting um, or crushing, like soul crushing, because whatever I was working on was just not as good as those books uh, or it just was less appealing and, you know. I found they were stealing my attention away. Yeah. Um, So I actually moved all the books out of my office and put them on another floor of the house. (laughs) (laughs) And the only books I have in the office now is right beside my little area where I write. I've got the other books I've written like and published so that if, if when it's really like a slog, I can look at this books and think, no, I I have done this. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) I do know how to do this thing. Um, But maybe I can get you to introduce yourself by just saying like how you kind of see yourself. I don't know, in relation to those books.
1: <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you've read my biography, but these are actually all my books. <laughs> this, is, this is my life's work so far. You know, I slowed down a little bit in the last few years. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, part of the reason that that I ha- have the books here is partly a necessity because half of them were stored on my parents' farm in Saskatchewan, which they sold two years ago. Mm. Uh, so that meant I had to, to find a new home for them. Um, and I also like having them because... Uh, it does make a nice icebreaker or even conversation starter with students when they come by. I always forget how scary office hours can be uh, for students because I don't feel like a, a scary person, but but I obviously understand that. And so I find that that's often a good way. Something catches someone's eye and they're like, oh, I read that or I've always wanted to read that. Um, and, uh, and And a lot of the books that I keep, I, I of course have them, you know, fiction, poetry, all all sort of anally alphabetized. And I have my art books and, 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 and comics and things like that at the top. And those are often the books that I go to when I'm writing and I'm stuck and I just need an image to kind of get me going. So sure. I try to use it to, I do get that soul crushing thing you're saying, absolutely. But I also do try to use it for inspiration. Well,
0: I actually, maybe I've done it really poorly thought out plan. But in my university office uh, at the University of Manitoba, I put... I took all the books that I haven't yet read. I actually separated them out from the books that I own and keep. You know, I've been very, I'm trying to be very selective with what I, books I keep now. Yeah. So I was very indiscriminate for many years. And uh, after so many moves, it just, uh, it just started, it like, I'm just going to stop keeping books. Yeah. That, uh, you know, especially books I'll never read again. But I've got all these books I haven't read. And they're, you know, often, you know, books I'm excited to read, they're great books, yeah. but it would take me years to read through them all. So I actually moved them off. I felt like, anxiety because i hadn't read them so like especially in my writing office yeah i felt like here's all this undone work yeah (laughs) i moved them physically off onto the university campus and so my office is all books i haven't read so when students come like it looks like this wall this display of you know intelligence and authority but i've read none of those books yeah i love that yeah so anyway, um, t- speaking of more specific books, you've got The Writing Moment, yes. you know, the textbook that you wrote recently, which <laughs> is what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, it's a really excellent book. You know, well, thanks, Jonathan. I've been looking a long time for a book that I can use as a textbook in creative writing. And what I what I find consistently is, um, I think I mentioned it to you before, I ha- there's this problem that I see with writing textbooks, which is either that they're aimed too low, like at a, at a really beginner writer who very quickly will move beyond that book. Yeah. And in many ways should be reading articles and not these books. Right. Um, Or they're aimed at a kind of very high kind of pitch. You know, so you're reading, the way I kind of describe sometimes to people is you either are reading like an article on how to get rid of adverbs that's been expanded into a book uh, or you're reading Derrida.
1: And there's this very
0: small, you know, or Deleuze or something like this. And there's a very small kind of, space in between where I don't find many books exist probably for marketing reasons. Right. Um, ironically, you know, you have this kind of weird how to write industry that to me has kind of made the, uh, I guess a a sort of mistake and maybe a non money making (laughs) sense. Like I'm sure it makes sense from a money making perspective, but there's a sort of weird mistake where it seems to me like a lot of the books about how to write are addressed to people who will never write uh, consistently. Uh, or people who very much need something more complicated than that book. Yeah. Um, when, so what I really loved about the writing moment, because I find this is especially a problem with poetry. So even when you do find a book about poetry that's very craft-focused and practically focused, it will avoid the theoretical ideas that, that writers play with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, or you'll kind of, again, you often won't, and the other thing is, even when you do find a very strong poetry craft book, it'll be extremely conservative. Right. Um, it may be good, but you'll it, often be very conservative, and you won't really get a sense of the, the real dis- range of writing that you can yeah. do. So what I really liked about the writing moment was, you're pitching it in some ways at a beginner writer who is very serious. Yeah. Uh, and also, you're talking, you'll, like you'll go from, you know, showing student work and talking about like what the students have done to, you know, having, here's a poem by Frank O'Hara. Here's a poem, you know, yeah. uh, sh- here's a, here's something that Shakespeare had done. Uh, here's a sonnet, you know, these traditional sort of ways of working. Here's, you know, how to, to write to a blank verse. Uh, and then you will discuss Zizek. You do discuss Deleuze and guitar, you know, yeah. uh, but in a very comprehensible way. yeah uh, so I, I, it seems like it's an interesting tightrope and I'm wondering, um, so I'm going to get kind of back to that in a second, but one thing I wanted to just sort of ask you was, how did you actually come up to write uh, this book?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's sort of, I guess, kind of two phases to that, because there was, yeah, the first of all, like, sitting down to write a book on on how to write poetry, which, needless to say, had never, ever crossed my mind. But we were actually having a meeting in, in my office here a few years ago, uh, the creative writing group meets once a week here and it's open to the creative writing students, to any student, former student who just wants to come hang out. And we happened to be having a really big meeting that day. I mean, we must have had 20 some people squeeze into my little office. Um, and there was a very quiet student reading, who was, who was very funny, but we were all listening very closely. And we heard just a gentle knock on the door. And you could t- it was a sort of knock that someone was like, oh, wait, is there someone in there? I'm not sure. I don't want to knock on a door. And, and so the student who's closest to the door opened it up. And, and this person who knocked on the door uh, almost, you know, we're, we're, we're up a, a level, almost literally like fell off, you know, and fell like a story to, to, her, to her demise. Um, and it turned out it was the acquisitions editor for Oxford University Press and uh she she didn't want to interrupt the, the meeting, but she basically said she's here is something they need and are interested in and, and so would I do it. Um and I thought no, but I said <laughs> but I said yes, you know what I mean, the way you always you always say yes to everything at, at the university. And then and then the next step of course is the sort of how how the book as I as I did it came about was just looking at a whole bunch of of sort of how to write poetry books and Books that are multi-genre with with a poetry component, and and two things struck me. The first is is what you've already said that that yes, you do need to give students these these traditional elements, um, but at the same time, there's all these other possibilities. And and you know, you have a creative writing classroom, and everyone who does knows all the different things that the people in that room want to do. And so, I, I wasn't seeing that in any of the books, and I also wasn't seeing books that were, that were really getting students writing a lot. And, and so that when, I, when I kind of, you know, I sold the to pitch a book to Oxford. And so my little short line was practice precedes abstraction. And it was the idea that I would have these little writing moments, you know, hence the title, that would just get the students write. So you're writing, now I'm telling you some things, now I'm telling you something else, and you're writing based on that. And then when you get to the end of the chapter, you could do more kind of traditional exercises. So it was once I knew there was a book that I wanted to do, then I was really like, okay, like I want to pitch this, and I hope I hope they take it because I would really like to write this book.
0: Sure. And so, when how did you actually start getting into the meat of how you would structure or design the books? Like, so for example, how did you decide or select what techniques you were going to focus on and the kind of types of writing you were going to focus on? Because it's very wide ranging. And you go from, like I say, very traditional forms. Uh, like metrical patterns, uh, yeah. sonnets, of course, um, these enduring forms, but also, um, you're talking about comic books, uh, you're giving, uh, you're talking about concrete poetry. I've never seen, uh, and maybe it's just uh, my bad luck, but I've never seen a poetry textbook that discusses, uh, concrete poetry, uh, like visual poetry of any sort. Yeah. Uh, never mind that, you know, using like references from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to, you know, yeah. Uh, like other com- like comic books, uh, and also you know Shakespeare.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, these are very true yeah, so I definitely books. wasn't seeing that either. And So that was you know that was one of the main things I, I wanted, and and that was something that got the Oxford excited as well. You know what I mean? Like that was something when it came back uh, and it was accepted. That was something they said yes, like please please make that a, par- a, a serious part of this book. And so they also came, you know, I was working under some expectations from them, and it was sort of like, I'm guessing this is the info that they were getting from creative writing teachers, and it was that they wanted a book that was about writing new poetry, was about revising poetry, and was about ways of, I mean, they're saying publication, but I I presented more as like ways of sharing poetry, because I mean, talk about, you know, cart before the horse or whatever, I mean. Uh, and so I, I did have that kind of model that they gave me. But yeah, as, as I was undertaking it, I mean, I was drawing a lot on, obviously, my experience in the creative writing classroom and and a lot too, uh, you know, I'm out at UT Scarborough and, and we have a lot of great connections with the community. So I do community outreach, poetry workshops, which are just literally like open to anyone from the community. And and and, and one of the things that I found on, on, on that front and, and, you know, working with beginning writers here was just how much poets can improve here's what imagery is here's what the music of poetry is here's what metaphor is and you could literally do it in a couple hours and people have suddenly gone from here as writers and that's kind of what you're talking about it's like if your creative writing textbook ends there then people have read it in a day and they're ready for something else and they immediately don't need to reread the book like that's
0: what i find a lot of them like because i'm also looking for a book that I could read, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, like I know what an image is. I know how to create a metaphor, you know, I could get better at it, but how, yeah. like, that's the where I feel a lot of it sort of ends. And so what I liked about the kind of structure that you've come up with was um, you were, because you were getting into some of these philosophical. You'll, t- you'll talk about the, I-, I thought you had a very clever, I don't know how much you had designed it this way, but to me, the patterning seemed to be, you would pick a sort of technique that you're going to teach, and we are going to cycle exercises around, and you'd also pick uh, a broader kind of philosophical concept by way of illustration. So you'll talk about the sublime uh, and what that is and sort of a bit of the tradition of how it shows up in poetry, both traditionally and in even avant-garde experimental work, you know, how they kind of approach the sublime differently. And then you'll hang very concrete you know, yeah exercise about, you know, here's a type of... I forget the precise thing you talk about the sublime, but you know here's a precise type of poem you yeah. can learn to write, uh, but we're going to use this broad concept. And so, you know, one, you're tapping into the poetic tradition of philosophizing with poetry or through yeah. poetry. Uh, and two, um, you've got a very you know practical thing that these people are doing. Yes, yeah. um, yeah, so that was
1: definitely, I mean, in, in, in the introduction, I talk about that. Um about the occasions of poetry that you know, I give my, my particular example of being at my my, uh, my partner's uh, cousin's wedding and, and, and being asked to write a poem kind of on the spot, and just use that as a moment to show, you know, beginning writers that it's always a process, but also to show this idea that, yeah, like poems come out of occasions that it's not just an idea, it's also going to be an emotion. It's also going to be a life moment. It's also going to be an artistic motivation. And as you're pointing out, once we have that kind of model in mind, you can then start pointing to specific traditions and start introducing poets to all of these different sort of paths that they can go down on that front. And I think, too, it just gets at, I think, what's key to to, to teaching this material and it's it's putting these things kind of in tension or putting these things in relationship. So, yeah, you're not just doing an image. You're doing an image in relationship to the poem you're forbidden to write. Like, you're not just, you know, you're not just writing about meter you're doing it in relation to the sublime.
0: That that's one of the first exercises. Of the poem forbidden to write, if not the first one. And it is, um, yeah. I thought that was really. When I saw that, I was sold because <laughs> not only you're getting into the emotional aspect of you know what is the thing that you know personally in some way you're forbidden. Uh, I mean, it, it, I think it taps nicely into a kind of emotional level. It also you get his social taboos and you get this broader level. Um, which you can kind of start to connect to more abstractly to different philosophies. And it's also something that is applicable, as I say, like cross p- politics. So, whatever your kind of, let's say, political belief in what poetry is or should be, uh, that's a thing you can tap into. And, it, and it's also crossing you like, basically out of what you would do into the space where you're now doing something you're uncomfortable with. And I, I feel like that's a strain of the book too, which I really appreciated this way that from the first exercise, you're really challenging people to do something they wouldn't normally do. Um, And I think that works on the formal level as well. They're trying different approaches. And again, I I appreciated the way that you crossed um, lines in that sense. Mm. And you've done that in your own practice. I mean, you do a variety of, very different types of poetry uh, so so it seemed you know to really work in a variety of ways so just to make this all a bit more concrete like what would be an actual process you should go through like how, how would you write in a writing exercise like in terms of uh forms or types of writing like how do you actually write a writing exercise because you've got a variety of them in this book and you know um and again like just if we're going to talk like shop a little bit Yeah. Uh, As a writer, uh, who's either going to come up with exercises to utilize themselves, or um, as a teacher, you know, you know, which so many writers teach, of course, uh, and teach creative writing. uh, I mean, how do you actually go? What is the writing process of doing a writing
1: exercise? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, a part of it kind of comes back to what we've we've sort of touched on, and it's. uh, I try to have sort of two components that you have the sort of prompt and then you have the sort of practice that you have that aspect of the exercise that's going to stimulate someone's imagination. That's going to make them want to write, you know, that's going to say yes. But then at the same time, that's also giving them some sort of that he has the pedagogical aspect that's giving them some sort of direction and that's giving them access to this tool or this technique in a way that that right away they can kind of just go with it um, like one that, one that I, that, that I find has, has, has done, uh, you know, led to good poems or, or taken something difficult for students to understand and, 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 and help them write with it, uh, is taking the idea of the, of the ideal image of taking, you know, that, that there's another aspect of the image that maybe we don't often talk about in creative writing textbooks, even though it's at the core of kind of all art, you know, the, you know it, it's there from kind of Plato on, this contrast between what is and what could be, uh, and so it can be a very abstract thing, you know, even, even as I'm trying to describe it, uh, and so the writing exercise that, that I have in the book and that I'd used previously with students just talks about, I was at the Butterfly Sanctuary, and uh, I saw a woman who was covered in she had butterfly earrings, butterfly thing in her, ber- barrette in her hair, butterfly brooches, butterfly pattern shirt. She was just like the, the woman who loved butterflies. She walked in there and was all in awe and wonder. And then like one butterfly came near her and she's like this and then another one. And suddenly they were swarming her and she was screaming and having a panic attack and totally had to be, be hauled out of there. And so I give that as this concrete example of, of this meeting between the sort of ideal of what butterflies are and then the sort of real encounter with it. So, you know, for some students, they can just take that and, and, and write a poem about that, but then it also gives them access, yeah, what, what are my experiences like that? Or what are other people's sort of encounters with that? So that's that, that, that's one example uh, that, that I've had success with that, that I think is doing those two things.
0: Sure. So when you find something like that, where again, you know, so let me just ask a quick question about that particular example so in that instance did you at that time uh, get compelled to write a poem about this butterfly experience yes so um and then to what degree did you actually connect the exercise to the kind of process that you went through
1: in reality uh no it, it was definitely just the sort the sort of uh, uh beginning point sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah sure yeah. so
0: and then when you are trying to kind of pick the technical idea to illustrate uh, with the prompt? Is that, you know, the instance where, I mean, at what point I guess I'm asking, like, does it become unfocused? Like how many things could you add to that writing prompt before it's no longer practical? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, that's definitely something I, I struggled with. And I mean, you know, especially where, you know, So as I said, the book is divided into, into writing moments and writing exercises. You know, those are really the two types of, of, of spurs that, that are in the book. And, and so maybe to give a, a more concrete example, we've been talking about the imagery ones. And so I'll talk about that too, because I think the imagery ones also, because you know, again, right away, as you're saying with the poem you're forbidden to write, I just wanted to kind of lay it all out right at the start. And so one of the things that, that I also did then right at the start was, okay, we're talking about <clears throat> the image. The image in poetry. So of course we think imagery, and so when we first meet imagery in that section, it's draw your senses, and then so every every no matter who you are as a poet, cons, the most conservative poet. That's yes, this is where this is where we start, and then the next the next prompt leads people to explore the symbolic power of imagery. Okay, yeah. And then it's the third that gets into this more abstract, the kind of ideal image. That's another type of image we work at. And now that I've sort of brought everyone kind of safely along, then I can make that turn at the end of that section and be like, but actual physical images as well, both in terms of ekphrastic poetry, writing about works of art, or also having poems that respond to images on the page, work images into the page, or use the image to reshape the very layout of the poem or the very shape of the page. And so... That, that, that was one thing that I was trying to do was to start somewhere accepted and comfortable and use that to show it is, it's not a strange leap to suddenly make poems that look like comics, you know, to, to use the example you gave that this is all a part of the same continuum of poets exploring, uh, exploring images. Um, so yeah, then it, in actually writing those writing moments, um, that was definitely where I could, I found myself, like when I'd go back and forth with my editor that she She was having to do work to either there's not enough kind of hands on going on here or you've just gotten so convoluted you've basically just given someone like a recipe you, sure. you know what I mean like they're not even being prompted they're just sort of like automatically and you know there are a few in there like that because i did want to I did want to play with that idea of, of, of the recipe as well that ine- inevitably people are going to tweak but but uh, yeah that was definitely something
0: so what strikes me about that description of how you're kind of, I guess say like layering one exercise or writing a moment on the other is it's very much the structure that you'll see in a poem. You know, mm. when this stanza, you know, yeah. it builds on the previous stanza but develops it a bit more broadly or abstractly. You start from a, often a concrete place and move out to this broader, more abstract place and then tie it together again with another almost epiphanic concrete image. Uh, so I was wondering to what degree you were, intentionally doing that or modeling that building process uh, with these writing exercises, or to what degree do you think is just maybe a natural way your mind works? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think it was just, it just seemed to me the most kind of, it seemed the most pedagogically sound and it just seemed to me like that was the that was the best way to to then really get at in a short span, you know, that first section on image is whatever 15 pages, maybe even less. So right then you could take someone really through The kind of history of poetry, you know, of all of the sort from the most sort of traditional in my body writing about my senses to a more kind of experimental approach.
0: So to kind of just disconnect from the book for a second and talk more about these writing exercises and writing practice, which is something you get into more later towards the end of the book. Uh, But one question that I have is often we're encountering these writing exercises in the context of a creative writing classroom, or of course in a writing textbook. Uh, And I'm wondering what value you think uh, writing exercises hold for non-beginner writers, like for people who are, let's say, have published books out. You know, people who see themselves as maybe, you know, being past the point of taking a class in creative writing, rightly or wrongly. Uh, Yeah. But um, again, like what... Maybe they have actual projects they're working on. Like, to what degree are these writing exercises a distraction? And to what degree do you see them as, you know, kind of fundamental or integral or just a value to a non-beginner writer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think the obvious answer is one answer, and it's just that I think it can, that it can push you in new directions. You know what I mean? That it can, it can, uh maybe get you writing or, or, or writing in a way you wouldn't necessarily or think, you know, writing about new things, you know, all, all, all the things that come with that. Um, but of course, you know, a writer might respond to that and say, well, that's just why I read other writers. <laughs> fair, you know, sure. fair, fair enough. Um, but, I, you know, I will say like a lot of the people, again, these are writing teachers, but a, a lot of people who've been getting desk copies or, or teaching from the book, I've been getting a lot of nice feedback from people, not only saying, that they're enjoying teaching the book, but also they're like, Hey, yeah, I've been writing some new poems and that they found that, that it has been something that's, uh, that, that, that is working and and sending them in a a new direction.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've I've certainly found it interesting. I'm kind of, you know, in terms of poetry, I don't write a lot of poetry anymore. It's a real misconception (laughs) people have about me. I don't really consider myself much of a poet or, (laughs) or that I really write poetry like, you know, and I'll even point to the, poetry books I've published and and argue that they're not poetry in various ways but um, (laughs) uh, I I have made a sort of constant decision with to go and like write some really classic poetic forms in particular traditional ways which I haven't really I haven't published really I mean I've done sonnets and things but they've never shown up in my books and so on so I find like at the moment for example I'm writing a sestina about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre so I mean, I want it to have uh, a lot of these traditional aspects. Uh, so I found the book was just a good refresher in that sense. But also, um, there were really particular exercises that, uh, I don't know if they would really help me write this poem exactly, but I think they would kind of get me more into the space to write the poem, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, like I've been finding it valuable even as, in some ways, a distraction from a project yeah. they own. Because there's a sort of weird way you can work as a writer it's unfortunate in some respects but you can be doing all this work and activity and on one hand not be doing the thing you have to do but on the other hand almost have to do it in yeah. order to do that thing yeah um so 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 i guess kind of a related question here is like do you actually do rec- writing exercises like this yourself like would you pick up a book like this book or or do you have like these exercises do you pick them up and just do them
1: yeah, I mean, well, you know, the, the one thing that you've already hit on is, you know, a lot of the exercises are just coming from either, you know, it was, it was fun to write this book because the one thing was writing, po- or, or drawing exercises from poems that I have written or types of poems that I write. So it's like my chance to say, hey, here's a type of, you know, especially with kind of more experimental kind of hybrid poetry. Now I can show people, hey, here's how you can do it. And here's how it's not so different than what's, what's, what we've already been doing. Um, but it was also a chance, because I would have ideas uh, uh, for poems, or things, but, but I, you, know, you don't have time to write all the poems you want, so suddenly you could sort of like put the seeds in there in the form of an exercise and have someone, hey, maybe at least someone else can, can write that poem. But yeah, I, uh, I, I was doing uh, uh, a very basic introduction to just the idea of occasional poetry, in, in, in my uh, in my creative writing class but I was just thinking too how much the students are into like speculative literature and fantasy and all sorts of things like this and so I thought instead of assigning them I, I show them here's here's occasional poetry but instead I gave them the, the just the you know basic prompt, Instead, write a, a fake occasional poem or a false occasional poem, which I called you know, vocational poems, like FAUX. Yeah, and I and sometimes, that. you know, in the classroom, if 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 people are kind of taking care of themselves, I'll just start writing my own poem as well with them. So, so you know, I can I can throw my my piece out there. And I actually ended up writing more of these fake occasional or or vocational or poems, and that's actually my next book. Oh,
0: there you go. That's coming
1: out next fall. That's <laughs> so great. that's. That's definitely that an exercise can take you in this direction that I never would have thought to have gone in a million years.
0: I find that so often the weird case where you'll have a very strict idea of like what you want to do as a project, yeah. and but then actually something else will catch your eye randomly, and that yeah. will be what you do. Totally, like I wrote Clockfire that way. I just had this sudden image of like a clock on fire, wow. and I just extrapolated out from yeah. you know that image. Um, which actually doesn't appear in Clockfire. It's suggested yeah. that it will appear later. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it never is described. And um, then anyway, I kind of hit on this weird idea of well, these impossible plays, and you know, it just kind of like starts barreling out from that point. And so I found like, it wasn't exactly a running exercise, but it was very much this kind of throwaway thing that I had done, which almost unchanged, like except for two sort of major sort of elements. It, almost the first draft unchanged huh. ended up in the book and then everything else was, you know, very much centered around the concept of that piece. Yeah. But it was like this weird, um, again, it was, you know, sitting in a classroom, you know, uh, thinking about some other thing that wasn't yeah. under discussion just, you know, this sort of thing comes in your head and then you're, you're off to the races in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but kind of along those. One other thing that I think is valuable in this book, uh, you know, you don't spend a ton of time on it, but you do get into something I've never actually seen, uh, or even really thought about. Weirdly, which is doing an outline for a poem. Like if you have yeah. an idea, but you don't have time to write this poem,
1: yeah, make an outline
0: of the poem. I mean, I, it never even occurred to me to do that, which seems so obvious. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Now that I see it, and, um, and and that idea, I, I really appreciate that sort of idea as well, uh, and so one thing I'm kind of related to that that I was wondering about was say you, you know, somebody has done an exercise, uh, either just because they want to experiment with a particular different way of doing things or, you know, they're in a writing classroom or, or whatever. for any reason they're compelled to do an exercise, but, and you're so often in these exercises, you're producing things that aren't poems, but are like yeah. just little fragments or, or what have you. Um, maybe you just craft a particular metaphor or image. Yeah. It's not, but it's outside of the context of being in a poem. Like what are some strategies, uh, that you would suggest for actually moving from, uh, one, like how, do you, how would you suggest a writer think about an exercise in terms of whether or not, uh, like what in that exercise would maybe compel somebody to move towards an actual draft? Uh, and then two, like what are a couple strategies for moving from like a very fragmentary piece Uh, to a fuller draft. Like in some ways that's what your whole book is about, but uh, I'm wondering, you know, uh, if you have some particular tips or strategies you'd like to suggest to writers who maybe have this, just this fragment of an idea, but don't um, maybe know where to go to get it fleshed out in a, in a manner of speaking.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, that's a great question. It's a hard question because that's definitely one of those things that, yeah. And I think varies so much, poet to poet on on sort of, like, finding what your kind of patterns are for bringing this, you know, to bringing this to fruition. But I, I know for sure one of the things that that uh, I, I do encounter is, yeah, it's just this idea of, like, what... what what, yeah what what's 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 worth keeping yeah or, or sort of like where, where do we go for, for the people who are just learning these sort of forms? One of the exercises I do in class actually is to give a prompt, uh, you know, give a little writing moment and and, and and people write it, write it, write it, try to write as much as a kind of short poem as they can to finish. and then whoever wants to share, we go around and share and then we pick one as a class. And then I, you know, have the little projection camera. and We put that one up on there on the screen so everyone can see this person's draft. And now this is our sort of group poem that we're all going to share and and write something kind of from this. And so I talk about like what for you is that kind of like gem of a line, which just that line that hits you is like, if all this is thrown out, this one line has to be saved, and, and is, it a, is it a voice that you grow out of that? Is it an extended metaphor? Is it some kind of image? So that's one thing that that, that people can do. Another another option I give them is to sort of find uh, a kind of structure in the poem, potentially, and sort of turn it, you know? Play with the order of kind of kind of what's already there. So that's another technique. And just talk about a few things that way. And then because that's always a fun exercise. Because then everyone's worked from that same source and even worked from the same same strategies. And then hearing that, you can hear, oh, well, that's a way to go. I could have, you know, giving people another thing. I might do there is giving people sort of structural shapes. Sure. You know, give it a kind of linear progression. Give it a radial. Uh, shape. Give it. Give it juxtaposing. Like using these. You know, giving verbs make the poem run. Make the poem fly. And just using that as a way of giving it that. Yeah, because it's definitely something that that you, you know you, can, you that, that that you can see people struggle with. Beginner writers finding these shapes, and advanced writers not using your same two or three formulas that you've caught yourself suddenly using in the last seventy-five poems you've written.
0: On that note, one sort of thing that I wanted to ask you a bit more about, you touched on this really briefly in the book, but uh, there is this common um, idea that writers need to find their voice or find their style, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering what you think of that, and to what degree these writing exercises can either, one, help with that, or two, help you avoid that, if that question makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean... I. I, yeah, I, I think that writing exercises. Because on the one hand, you know, for me, in, in terms of, of types of poetry, like I definitely tend to be a kind of everythingist. You know what I mean? Like, I think a poet should be able to do everything, and and I mean that in two ways. Like, one, you should be able to do everything. Like, you should be able to write like a, a Shakespearean sonnet. You should be able to write a sestina. You should be able to write all these forms. But you you should also be able to create a structure in such a way that. Yeah, maybe like throwing a trace of water across a rock and and snapping a photo, or not, you know what I mean, or you know. But that you should be able to think of that and work that as poetry. So, so on the one hand, yeah, I definitely uh, have that approach of of exercises as just being a way of of adding more dimensions uh, to to that that larger kind of choral voice that that really we we all have in us.
0: Stephen King has a book where he talks about, you know, having this toolbox, like a writing toolbox. So I, I often think of exercise in that way, you, you develop a tool to throw in your toolbox, maybe you use it later, maybe you don't. I mean, and it, but it all depends. What I like about his metaphors, you, 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 he has, tells this little story of how his grandfather's, I forget who it was, his uncle or grandfather went to go fix the screen door. Um, and he, you know, brings this big honking toolbox over, puts it down, um, takes one tool out of it, uh, fixes the thing and then puts the tool back. And then yeah. asks him, well, why did you bring the whole toolbox if, you know, you only need this one tool? And he says, well, you know, once I was here, yeah. I might have discovered I needed some other, there was some other job to do, or, or I had some other, you know, uh, thing that I might need, you know, so, and I like that metaphor of having to kind of carry this toolbox around. Because what I find so often, and this is something, at certain moments you kind of touch on this, but what I find so often with students or even with, you know, really world class professional writers where they start to falter or fail is if they are taking an sort of inappropriate style and trying to apply it to an idea. So it's something that they've had mm. success with in the past or it's just something that they maybe unconsciously think they have to do. Yeah, and that's what poetry is or again you know this is what i do uh, yeah. and suddenly you have an idea that it doesn't serve so you and i feel this is the problem that a lot of uh, great writers fall into when um, they start to produce bad work is they they often have seized an idea that you know maybe is excellent but it just it does not it's not served by their style and yet they yeah. they've yeah. developed this voice and this style and they're trying now consciously or unconsciously they're applying it across to every idea yeah in some ways, that's a trap, a success trap that writers yeah. can get into. But I think it's also a thing that um, many, you know, kind of beginning or emerging, whatever you want to call them, writers get into almost by accident because it's very, it's you know, especially if you have a particular, maybe political idea of what you think writing is or should be. Yeah, if that makes sense. Uh, and what I've found useful in one way I've managed hopefully to avoid uh, (laughs) that kind of a trap. I guess it depends who you talk to, you know, whether, whether I avoid it or not, but uh, like what I find myself doing a lot is mimicking tech, like experimental approaches, but not actually doing them. Yeah. So I'll often produce poems that people assume have been written under some conceptual or procedural constraint, but they haven't been. Yeah. Uh, I just started, I've just learned how to mimic that style. Um, And so, Uh, in some ways you know there's reasons not to do that and to actually be more procedural and conceptual and and, but I think you know one way to kind of escape the various traps you can find yourself in as a writer is to to be doing these sorts of exercises either you know because you want to try something new or just again kind of kick yourself out of the habit of doing the same thing over absolutely because you can be very successful doing that in a both creatively and, you know, in other respects sometimes. And, uh, but then if you get that idea that doesn't work, you know, it just doesn't work for it. Now you're stuck and you'll often be miserable Um, or you'll feel there's a problem, but you won't know what the problem is. And to some degree I find like, especially I find a lot of writers, when I talk to them about what they're trying to do, they'll have this, you know, very clear idea, but they'll have just picked some form or structure that makes it makes zero sense to use. Yeah, huh, uh, interesting. To, for whatever reason, you know, like they'll have, uh, and that's, and maybe they're just used to applying that, or they just have had the idea they wanted to write a sonnet, but then they started, I don't know, producing something that would have, it just doesn't make sense to write a, yeah. a sonnet form for some reason yeah. or other. Um, I see it more common with haikus, weirdly, where, um, yeah. I don't know why, but yeah. Um. So just talking about you as a teacher, um, I'm wondering if you found, now that you have a textbook out, you know, <laughs> what has your experience been like using this book in a classroom? And and have you found any kind of unexpected ways to use it in the classroom? Maybe? Like things, obviously, there's things you were intending to, you know, hoping to do. Yeah, uh, but w- w- in what ways have you found it maybe surprisingly useful? <laughs> or
1: well, I mean, really, one of the one of the things that I, I mean, that this just shows me maybe not thinking enough about it. But one of the things that surprised me. And, and that I've loved about it, is, is just getting all that material into the, into the hands of the students. Because, of course, this is all stuff that I would always love to, that, 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 that we would cover and we'd be able to talk about. But, of course, each class would just be a little fraction unless I would be giving, you know, 20, 25 page handouts. And so now I'm able to assign a little bit of a section to read. So come, they come to class or and we talk about it or they go away after having talked about it in class and read more. And so now instead of us talking about a little bit of what would be in a, in a section there and then me assigning one writing exercise, they're now able to read through it all and then pick from, you know, all the, the, the four writing moments or the six or seven writing exercises. And so it's been neat watching people be able to craft their own kind of path through the book. You know, like having students who will find their we'll we'll find the way of uh, hey like I, I, I want to be more of an experimental poet and so they'll they'll gravitate towards those and, and, and so you know they're still having to do some of the more traditional stuff but they're also able to be like, whoa, what's a sound poem? I've never heard of a sound poem and they're you know re following all the links that I give them and, and trying their hand at that. And and so I'm definitely like that, that they have all this material and they're able to have I guess a bit more ownership over it rather than me. I, I, I mean, I still am the gatekeeper, I guess, because I, yeah. I put this stuff in the book, but rather than me just pointing to these few things, they're able to kind of go go with it on their own.
0: And have you found, um, have you found that, it, this may be a good question, but have you found it to be a problem in any way? Like, has it like sucked your luxuries away from you or, or otherwise, you know, has it just been, a, has it freed you up in it the class? Freed, or yeah, is it a
1: yeah, so I'm able to say like, Oh, this these two things we didn't get to. You can go to page, you know, eighteen and twenty-two, and, and make sure you check that out. Or if you're interested in more of this, because I've the books, I use the book in such a way that I use part of it for the, the beginner level, and then I use part of it for the intermediate level, and so they end up not, you know, they don't read the whole book in in, in the one class. Um, and there's still stuff that that we don't quite get to. Um, one of the one of the the I guess another kind of unexpected thing that was fun that came out of it was since the students then were reading so many writing exercises and things like that, I said, okay, for next class, this is the intermediate class, I said, write your own writing moments. Like, write something in that style and that, that's sort of maybe not covered in the book or that you think should be covered in a new way. And I, I kind of almost wish I hadn't done that because I was like, damn, these are good. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> might... You yeah, you might not them. need me anymore. Y'all just get this book and then make your own exercises, and and then so we did those, and then they handed them around and they each wrote poems off their own prompts, and I wrote a poem off off one of the prompts, and so that was definitely something unexpected too, is seeing them take that step towards being the being the instructor as well.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't used the book yet, and I'm going to use it next term in my in a classroom, but uh, I'm very you know looking forward to it because. Especially for poetry, like I say, I find it's just so hard to find a book. Um, yeah. I don't know why it's so hard to find writing textbooks. When there's so many of them. Yeah. But so many of them are one, focus on fiction, or two, again, have some weird political agenda, or some, or just lack any sort of diversity for some reason. Or, yeah. Or as I say, you know, they they are too basic, and I feel that's a real problem. Oddly, even for beginners. Yeah, because I just don't see what benefit they get from a book, you know. Absolutely, Frankly, yeah, like, yeah. You know, like I'll see whole chapters sometimes devoted to how you shouldn't use adverbs. Well, that's like five words or something, you know. Yeah. Like it's like a sentence. Don't use adverbs for the yeah. following reasons, <laughs> you know. And then you might tag two more sentences on there, yeah. Um, and then ignoring all the times you would use an adverb, um, or again, like the reasons in more detail. Uh, and like, realistically, like I find like, if you just give people a checklist of like 10 things that they can just do, yeah. they immediately improve. Uh, yeah. And then you can kind of go somewhere else after that point. Oh, um, if you've, I often tell students like, you know, if you just go through your writing and do like, you know, a handful of really technical things, you can just instantly improve it. Yeah. Uh, and then we can kind of get into maybe, you know, what else you can do to like improve at a more broader animal you know, yeah. level. And then you can go back and just subvert all that stuff you know, yeah. that you had kind of taken as straightforward rules. Like all the quote unquote rules are writing. Yeah. One, of course, you know, there's this way in which they do help. Uh, but, you know, eventually you can come back and subvert them. Yeah. But two, there's this way in which, you know, at the moment that they truly help, it truly helps to just accept without question particular, you know, rules like, you know, avoid your passive voice, avoid, you know, yeah. abstract verbs and so on. At that moment, you don't need the explanation and you don't need to read yeah. a whole book about it. <laughs> yes. Do you sure. know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's such a weird sort of, so you get these books that are basically checklists. I feel, and I don't see why we need to talk endlessly about something like at, at the checklist level. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, uh, I And just from talking to writers and knowing writers, you know, at, at the level where you start to become more confident or, you know, you're writing publishable work, mm. um, you know, those writers aren't thinking in terms of writing rules. Yeah. You know, they they may have certain things that they do consistently or that they believe, you know, make for good writing or even that they tell students. But on their their bookshelves are, you know, books unlike theirs. Yeah. <laughs> Books of philosophy, you know, books of, you know, general interest non, you know, it's all sorts of things that we don't necessarily like. You were talking about comic books, you know, like you've got your poetry, and then you've got all this other stuff, yeah, uh, sitting on the shelf behind you. And I feel like a lot of writing books focus on like, if they're teaching fiction, they'll be you know talking about like they're teaching short stories. It's like go buy some short story books, go read a bunch of short stories. Yes, that's great, but you know why? Uh, And like, why wouldn't you go pick up a book by Zizek Uh, and, you know, apply that or just completely fail to apply it, but, um, you know, wrestle with or even contend against those ideas in some way. Um, So there's a lot of sort of weird, I mean, my, from my perspective, there's a lot of kind of myths about what's useful to a writer um, at various stages. And then there's this way that, you know, what I would like to call kind of non-beginner or serious writers, whether they are really beginning or not, you know, there's a kind of a difference off between like the very serious students you can tell are going to keep writing. Yeah. Uh, and the people who, you know, just are going to quit for some reason or other, uh, either after they publish a book, which happens a lot yeah, uh, or, you know, before. And it's not that those people that, you know, aren't making good decisions or can't be served, but I feel like there's this lack of serving writers, you know, who've got books out, and you know, maybe you know, like you, like, where's the book for you? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Because I'm sure you'd want to read it, you know. Yeah. Um. So kind of, this is a broader question, disconnected a bit, but I'm wondering just what you think are some of the kind of core myths that writers believe. Is that? This is a very abstract question, but.
1: Um. I mean, maybe this one's too, this one's probably too broad and, and perhaps, you know, it's inevitably a very personal question. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think for me, and this is something I th- I've been thinking about a lot for a while. I won't even say lately, for a while. And it's just that it's kind of a two-fold problem. And it's, on the one hand, it's that, what, what what we do as poets say, it doesn't matter, you should be apologetic. When you stand up at the mic, you should be bowing your head about not make, make crack jokes, about not making any money, da-da-da, you should do that because we're just worthless. So there's that side of it. But then kind of weirdly connected to it is this obsession with the things that don't matter, as though that's the award, the nomination, or this, or who's... R- do reviewing that da da da. So there's on the one hand the sense of like, and, I, and I'm saying this not judging anyone it's like putting it on me. I'm just like oh, I'm a poet. I I don't make any money off my poetry. And like Oh, the nominee. Who, oh, is your book gonna get whose book is it da da da. And it's like, I think for me that that's something that that is is a kind of myth that 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 I feel like I feel like I'm thinking about it more because I'm really ex- living through it. Like it, like like getting you know what I mean. Like I'm feeling like you know, two things have happened. One, you know, a a lot of it is just teaching, you know, of just like how important the process is and how awesome the process is and how amazing writing poems is and sharing poems that other people are writing poems. And it's just like, you know, once you you see that angle, then you're like, no, I'm not apologetic because this is amazing. Like, this is awesome. Everyone out there is not doing it. You should be doing what we're doing. And then there's also just the, Forget all this awards or forget who's getting mad at who on Twitter. Like, it doesn't matter. But you know what I mean? Like, and, and one of the things that really brought it kind of clear to me was at Christmas, uh, my girlfriend and I were visiting her dad in Florida. And he's a real, uh, I mean, he, he's, he was in real estate and he now runs kind of senior, senior care stuff. So he's a real businessman. But he's always loved movies. He's always loved reading. He's got a huge bookshelf. And, and so he's a real fan of the arts at the same time. And, and, and we were watching a movie with him. I can't remember what it was. And uh, Andrea, she said something to me. And then I kind of said something back. And you know, we're kind of talking at the level of craft. And he was just, what did you two just say? Like, what? He's like, wow. And then we kind of explained it to him. And it's stuff that, you know, we would just, this is just how we think about this stuff. And he's like, you two have such a gift. Like you were so lucky that you can see that and that, and that you have the opportunity to show people that. And I just thought, wow, like I'm such a jerk. You know, I'm such a, you know what I mean? Like, and, and so that's a moment that really, really stuck with me.
0: So the, the only kind of other question I really wanted to ask you was, you know, is there such a thing as caffeinated bread? Like at one point in this book, you, you make so much often remarked, to, you know, it's the best thing since caffeinated bread. And like, is that real? Like I think it is. Bread? Really? I do. I, th- I don't think I was making that up. That's like a million, that's a million dollar idea. As soon as I saw <laughs> that, I was like, not only is that a beautiful poetic <laughs> image <laughs> or some sort of, you know, but, it, but, it, you know, that's, that's a brilliant
1: million dollar idea. Wow. Well, hopefully maybe it's not real. And does this, I don't know Is publishing it count as like having <laughs> to right. copy or trademark can't copyright or?
0: ideas. <laughs> no, that's uh, yeah, that, that was a revelation to me. There's all sorts of little weird gems in there. I don't know uh, if that really is one, but it's certainly, you know, a brilliant, a brilliant image. Uh, but yeah, well, well, thanks so much, uh, Daniel. I really appreciate it. And, um, I'm excited to, you know, to know more about this uh, this book of yours coming out. You said it was this fall or next fall?
1: Uh, next, yeah, so it's I guess uh, this fall, 2015. Over, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Well, sweet what's sweet. the book called? Do you have a clear title? Yeah,
1: yet? so I am, I am going to stick with the title. So, you know, these fake vocational. So it's called Focational Poems." Okay, great. Vocational. It starts at, it's, it goes, it moves in kind of chronological order from year zero and then ends again at future year zero. So. Oh, excellent. And there you go, you know, a book born out of writing moments uh, yeah <laughs> hopefully it's
0: good <laughs> excellent well thanks so much well thank uh, you very much jonathan this is a lot of fun great well I'll talk to you later so that was daniel scott tisdall on writing exercises um again i really recommend daniel's books especially the writing moment and vocational poems the two books we kind of talked about in the interview um, if you go to the uh, show notes online at jonathanball.com slash five You'll find links to those books and to other things related to, you know, what we talk about in this interview. So again, that's jonathanball.com slash um, five. Thanks so much for you know, listening. Thanks to Daniel for being my guest. Um, thank you for, uh, you know, what you're going to do next, I hope, which is, you know, give this show a rating, give it a subscribe, uh, give it, you know, a review even if you hate it, you know, it still helps to give it a review from my point of view, um, because, I mean, I guess then you don't want to help it, but, you know, the algorithms really like ratings, the algorithms really like reviews, that kind of stuff really helps people find uh, this show. So uh, thanks very much. Um, I really encourage you also to just make writing exercises a regular part of your uh, creative practice. So I've talked about practice and writing schedules you know pretty extensively if you go to jonathanball.com uh, slash schedule there's all sorts of information about um, you know getting a creative writing schedule going uh, my most popular blog post is at that link jonathanball.com slash schedule so all about why you should have a writing schedule I really think writing exercises are a great thing to do inside your writing schedule especially because they're low risk you know so you can just kind of get going Uh, rather than a big, giant, weighty project that maybe you're going to procrastinate on or you're going to find intimidating, why don't you just start your writing session with a bit of an exercise, something that's fun. You know, get a copy of the writing moment, do the exercises, and then just kind of segue out of that into maybe your more serious, massive project. Um, Oftentimes, like Daniel himself, you know, talks about vocational poems, for example, grew out of uh, the exercises he was doing, sort of in class and, you know, developing for the writing moment and so on really worth checking out um, writing schedules uh, if you haven't already instituted one so yeah slash schedule they'll give you a bunch of information about why you should have a writing schedule and also on my website of course you can sign up and get a free ebook that's going to tell you uh, how you can create and maintain a writing schedule because often uh, when you have a schedule it's still hard to maintain it and I've found a few things that really help quite a bit um, just by taking into account Know, trying a lot of different things, um, learning what kind of works and doesn't work. Everybody's different, but there are some basic, you know, concepts like psychological triggers and how they could you know work for you in a positive way, you know, as opposed to the sort of negative way we always think about you know being triggered. Uh, in any case, uh, Jonathanball.com/schedules where you can get more writing schedules. Uh, Jonathanball.com/five so where you can find more about you know Tisdale and his books because that's where the show notes for this episode are. And also, this is an interview that has an accompanying uh, video, Skype video, you know, talking heads on Skype. So if you prefer to watch that um, at some point, you know, or want to share that, uh, go to JonathanBall.com slash five. Thanks for listening. Uh, keep writing the wrong way. <laughs>